This is Albanian Stories, a series of interviews about unique Albanian people from our diaspora and their extraordinary stories. Hello, Denida. Hi, you have to start the recording, actually. Yeah, we are, we actually have. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for being here and for doing this. In the name of all the, the Gaff, Germin and like our the production team, which we don't have like an official name yet. Uh, thank you for doing this. Well, thank you for the invitation and thank you for the effort to put this together. Uh, I believe that you're doing something significant and, and it's my pleasure to be here. Yeah, as I, I tell everybody, like, uh, uh, I, I didn't bring the podcast to the Albanians. I found the podcast within you. That's true. That's true. <laughs> uh, so uh, tell me a bit about yourself. Like, you were born in Albania and then you moved to Greece. And what are your first... Um, recollections from that era from Albania? Well, I was born in 1992 and we moved to Greece in November of 1991, so I was nine years old. Um, I have memories from before the change on the regime, uh, so I have memories from wearing the, uh, the school uniform. The black one with the dog with the yes. huge collar. Yeah, awful, awful. I remember. I remember very, very strongly when every Monday we were, uh, the teacher had to come and check if you know we had our uniform was clean and we had a napkin and yeah. checking our fingernails if they were you know nicely yeah. done. So I, I remember all this, all these things, and uh, then you know when the things become a little bit harsh. For our people, my parents decided to to leave the country and move somewhere else. Uh, in the first attempt, uh, it was me and my uncle trying to go through the mountains, which we didn't succeed. <laughs> you were ten years old. How could you? I was nine years old, and they had to leave. So I was the only kid with a team of the people trying to, you know, to to pass through the mountains, and they left me somewhere in the in the mountains so they can go and check make sure that it's safe and, then, and i still remember that it was like night and i am you know sitting in nowhere you know and um being scared and and we couldn't pass it wasn't safe so we got back home and a month later we finally managed to to travel to greece like in a normal route like with a bus like, or whatever fly. yeah we were flying you know <laughs> well, well, <laughs> the airplane That's the extremes, like crossing a mountain and then with, yeah. a, with an airplane. Nice. Yeah, and, and then and then with an airplane. So you know, it, it was my first, you know, my first trip. And when we landed, everything was so different, like like another world. And to the eyes of a child, this you know, it's something yeah. very unique. <laughs> so and then, uh, how did you follow up in Greece? What happened? So you know, another kid of immigrant parents trying to make their living, working a lot, um, trying to grow up in, in an environment where you're not welcomed, a lot of bullying, a lot of shaming you because, you know, you're from Albania. And I was, until, you know, during the teenager years, I was very much angry. I was very much, uh, I was feeling ashamed for, for my, you know, being from Albania because of the bullying and everything else, they were making me feel ashamed. And after when I under started to understand myself and to understand where I come from, um, 
I went to the opposite side. I wasn't feeling ashamed anymore. And I was making sure that I, I make others aware about my nationality, that I can love at the same time and respect uh, and dedicate myself uh, to more than one country. I love, you know, I, I can respect Greece, but I still love my country because I was born there and I have memories. It's not just my parents' country, it's also my own country. Well, it's like being a citizen of the world without even realizing it at first, because you don't need an explanation about it. You don't need a definition. It's how you feel that makes the whole thing work out. You don't need like a guidance. Like you have to be this kind of person so in order to like love everyone or whatever, come well, up with something with a better better person. It's it's funny because people try to to put a label on you. You know, they ask you, how do you feel? Do you feel Albanian? Do you feel Greek? I'm like, I feel human. Um, it's just a matter of a luck where you're going to be born. You know, I was born in Albania, so I'm Albanian. Uh, now I live in the States, you know, so how I feel, I just feel human. I can live anywhere in the, in the world. You place me doesn't, you know, doesn't matter to me. And, uh, you, you told me something about like, uh, how did you get your education through Googling stuff away? No, it wasn't. Oh, sorry, it wasn't your education. It was your talking to your colleagues. I remember that was some like a really intricate way of performing, right? When I started my career, when I started my company, it was back in two thousand and two. So I didn't have any experience in running a business. I didn't have any experience in the industry I was functioning. So here I am, a person, a woman who has a view, has you know a, a, a dream, I would say, and is trying to have this company, and it's very unique because of the services. And I don't have the means to pay people to do my advertising or to do my networking and, and things like that. So everything has to be done by me. If I didn't use something, how to do something, for example, how to build a website, Google it, you know, how can I create my logo, <laughs> Google it. Um, and I'm saying, you know, I'm a kind of like a child of Googling because uh, you, you ha we, ha we have very, uh, a lot of limitations uh, in, in budget and everything else. So, uh, and, and by Googling it, I, I also managed to create the brand uh, for my company and myself and a company that started in Greece has been operating in different countries and and the last three years you know in the states so let's uh, let's introduce your business journey let's say into the world because it's very interesting and it's like you have like one of the most unique services that I've ever encountered or ever ran to uh, let's start with Athena how it started and then we explain the nanny guards. Well, uh, at the age of 20, I decided that I want to be a bodyguard. And I went through a training. I was the first female they had in the class. Uh, and from what they told me, I was the first female in the private sector. They, the, the other females before me, they were from, uh, from uh, law enforcement. So, you know, after the class, I was looking to see what, what are going to be my next steps. How do I find work? How, how do I, you know, develop myself professionally further? And nobody could answer me in Greece because it was very new. 
about females in the you know in this industry and they didn't know what to do with me it's not that they didn't want to help but they didn't know how to even now uh, it is not new it's still rare even now that it's not new it's still rare this thing uh yeah it is but it, it, it's it's better than it was you know 20 years ago of course uh you can imagine that they were look you know they were seeing you like something really really you know rare and weird i would say um and i had the idea like okay let's create a company uh where it's going to be dedicated only to female bodyguards and here i am uh with because this this company started months after my, my my first you know training so no experience in running a business no experience in the industry nothing i had to bring other people uh in the in the organization to help me people who had uh, experience um you know to help to develop the company and the reason I, i i choose athena as a name is because i was even for my years in albania my father used to read me for bedtime stories um homer So I was very familiar about the Greek mythology and Athena always struck me because of her wisdom. persona. You know, you yeah. can be a female, you can have and you can win wars through wisdom. And that's what I wanted to have to represent females in the business. That if you are a female bodyguard, you don't have to be huge like your male colleagues. You just have to be wise enough and intelligent enough to be in the business. That's why I chose the, the name Athena. That's a great branding approach. Awesome. It was very hard at the beginning, to be honest with you, but I own, if you, if you would say, the success of the brand to, to, to networking, to social media, because it was the only way for me, being in Greece back then, was the only way to reach out to colleagues and make myself know, known to them that this is who I am, this is what I do. And I was reaching to colleagues in different countries who were hiring me to go and work in these countries. And that's how I found myself, you know, with an Albanian passport uh, from Greece, an immigrant in Greece, traveling in different countries, in countries that I would have never dreamed before and work for specific clients. That all because of the brand and the networking. Being from Albania, uh, did you get a gun permit? <laughs> okay, so... The gun permit, depending on the country that you are, there, there are different... Uh, procedures. Yeah, different procedures and different laws to, to get one. So, uh, in some countries you cannot because you are, a, you are an expert, you're a foreigner, uh, and you cannot apply for a gun permit. Uh, I'm going to give you an example. In UK, nobody in the private sector can have a gun permit, even British citizens. So, it, it always depends on the country. The only thing I can tell you Um, as an example, is Greece, because I spent there the majority of my life. Uh, this is really fun, actually. Um, I started working for a very big family. When I say big, I mean, you know. Huge. Uh, wealthy, yeah, wealthy okay. family. One of the most well-known families in Greece. I started working for them in 2013. I, September 2013. So, a week after I was hired, I applied to get my gun permit. Because everybody in the team was armed. Yeah. And there's a very specific process. There's a huge, you know, thick file that you have to submit everything that they want from my side and from my client side. And we submitted that September 2013. I left that client in August 2015. 
and I never received <laughs> my gun permit. And the thing was that the the answer that I was always getting was like, it's the first time that we have an Albanian citizen um, from the private sector who is applying for a gun permit. I wasn't an embassy uh, employee. I wasn't, you know, uh, an Albanian government official to require, you know. So for them, it was the first time of this happening. They didn't know what to do. My file was going from the, you know, uh, Ministry of uh, Foreign uh, External Affairs to, mm. you know, to the to Interpol to it was, you know, just running around and around and around, and nobody wanted to, you know, to, to get the, uh, apparently the responsibility for it. So I never saw my gun permit, to be honest with you. So what did you what like? Did you have like an bow and an arrow like? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, no. Thankfully, everybody yeah. else in the team was armed, and yeah. I wasn't the only one escorting the specific because okay. I was assigned to one of the children. Yeah. So I wasn't the only one who was going out with the children, with the child uh, at that time. So I had other people uh, in the same team working with me who were armed. So we're we're covered. So you can't. You didn't even make like the precedent for like for for their own cases if they were to ask for a gun permit in Greece. You don't know what happened after that. I don't, I really don't know what happened. I left the client. Uh, it was, it was really funny because according to, you know, requirements, I had everything that they wanted, you know, I had, I submitted whatever they required. And, and I was a legal immigrant there, you know, I, I had a green card and everything else. So it was just a funny story for me at the end. <laughs> It didn't affect my job, you know. Of course, yeah. But well, being in a, such professional levels and industry, like, I mean, with serious people want you to do like to do your job. Of course, it would affect your your position and everything. So, uh, anyone can have like a bodyguard service now, and like you can have like female bodyguards if you want. I've heard other services in the world, like Russia, I think, like they used to do. Um, they had like a very famous company. I forgot the name, but but you took things, you took things on the security service with the female bodyguards one step further, or one step higher, or whatever. Because I really love the second idea, and you came up with nanny guards, which is like the the nannies that are bodyguards, and you came up with this new service and this new company and this new brand. So how did that? Coming to your mind? Well, um, if you are a female bodyguard, you will be hired only if there is a child to be protected or a female. And most of the times, uh, it was a child. So, and they wanted a female because it's easier for the child to react with the with the female. And all of these families that I have been working with, they had nannies, and some of them had more than one nanny. And the nannies, of course, it's not their business, so they're, they're not aware about the security procedures and. Most of the time, they were a security liability uh, for, for the client and the child and for us as well because of what they were doing. And I came up with the idea and said, how about we create a, a program and a service that we take these nannies and we train them in security, in specific security topics so they can be they can combine child care and protective services and either those nannies work for, you know, uh, celebrity families and high net worth families or they work for, you know, common families who don't need security, but they want to feel 
uh, have a peace of mind knowing that their nanny can, you know, protect the child in any kind of circumstances. And we're not talking only about kidnappings, but we can, you know, even for natural disasters, even for, you know, sex predators uh, and things like that. And that's how the nanny guard idea came into, you know, uh, into my mind. And uh, I took basically two words, combined them together to describe a specific uh, hybrid service, I would say. Uh, so you went from you went from Greece uh, straight to the U.S., but you work all over the world, I think, right? So uh, I have been working in Italy, France, uh, Albania, <laughs> United States, uh, and India. India was it was it own its own. It's it's like a like a learning. Uh, it was like a learning opportunity for me. It was like totally different. Totally you know? different culture industry. Uh, I would say culture, you know, and, and world. It's it's totally different world. It's you know you're not prepared for that. Do you have any um, special uh, moments in India that like you say? Well, this was like out of this world, so we others can understand the the so, Europeans and whatever the Western I, the I Westerns. Do, I do. Yeah. yeah. So before I go to that, uh, I have to to, to give you a, a short pre-story about India. When I was a kid in, in Greece, I had this routine with my dad. We had our own thing. Every Sunday, we used to go to the flea market, the two of us, and buy VHS. Okay. Buy movies. So, you know, Albanians, they're only, most of them, you know, uh, like Turkish movies or martial arts action movies or Indian movies. Well, my family was very passionate about, about Indian movies. So every Sunday we used to buy a new Indian movie and watch it. So from the early, very early age, I started liking the music, the colors, the people, the stories that were always, you can be, you know, the actor, somebody who is poor and they make it in life and they become famous and they became rich and they became successful. So I started liking, liking this kind of culture. And when I was a teenager, I asked my mom and then I said, hey, I want to learn Hindi. And they were surprised. Like, you know, usually your child is going to ask you, I want to learn German or English or French, Hindi. So we found an Indian uh, immigrant in Greece. And for six months, I was learning Hindi until he was deported because he was an immigrant. So I lost my, my teacher. And fast forward from the age of 16 that I was learning Hindi, I got a business proposal to go and work in India in 2015. And that was the first time I actually saw the country uh, and visited the country that I was seeing in these movies with my parents. Uh, and it was like mind blowing because the reality is very harsh over there. And coming back to the, you know, to the funny story, um, on my second day in the country, first day on duty at work, uh, I am positioned in uh, 18th floor on the corporate office and waiting with my client. And my team is uh, located um, in the parking, uh, underground parking. So every 30 minutes I had to check with my team. So I'm checking with WhatsApp, nothing. Check with the radio, no reply. Checking again, nothing. So I decided to go downstairs in the parking and you know check with my team. 
and I go there, and I see all the team, 16 people, drivers and security personnel, flat out. And I thought, okay, the first thing that gets to your mind is we have been hit. Oh, 16 people. Yeah, we have been hit. Everybody was, you know, like this. Um, they were sleeping. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, you know. How can for... a team of 16 people, like all sleeping, on duty? All, all sleeping, all sleeping all sleeping so it's for me uh you know it's it's we don't sleep on duty especially if you're working in this business you know for them because of the difference in culture and it's like you know they, they can sleep whenever they want basically you know you could see people sleeping on the streets so that was the first shock um i had you know working with them and it took me a lot of time to work it with them and say that, you know, this is not acceptable for this, this and that reason. Um, but that, I will never forget that actually, you know, it's... We can get killed for real, like, guys, please don't sleep on your duty. You don't sleep on duty, you're security personnel, <laughs> you know, so you can't do that. So after going, um, so you said you're, you've been around a lot and... Uh... You've seen many places. Uh, what happened? How did you feel when you went back your first time in Albania? After we left in 1991, we went back to Albania in 2004. I left as a child and I came back as an adult. Uh, the images I had when I left were you know, good and bad images, of course. Mostly bad because of the situation that happened back then. And, as a child, I couldn't comprehend and understand what's going on. Um, and when I got back in 2004, and I see that everything is fine now. This is not a place that, you know, it's scary or dangerous. This is quite safe. Uh, and I kind of felt guilty for having, you know, thinking that it's going to be bad. It's not bad, you know, it's, it's fine. The country has been building itself back and, you know, the people are doing much better. So it, it was it was really interesting for me to to see the difference before and after. Well, there are good and bad on every place you go, but but it has been doing better, actually. Like after all this time, people have worked and like they have made a future for themselves, whatever the politics are like. We are hardworking people at the end of the day, like Albanians like they really are hardworking people. We are, for us, it's like hard to work at our place because there is, we don't see like, uh, we don't see like um, a certain future to whatever we're doing. But uh, you see for yourself, uh, Albanians out like out of our countries, like Albania and Kosovo, and from North Macedonia or wherever, from wherever they are, like. It's strange and it's like somehow it weirds me out and my friends and my relatives like whenever we go out like we make miracles happen. It's like it's just like it's like you're talking to other people. You ever sense that for example you have like these great companies doing a great job and like you there are other people like famous people like getting into the entertainment industry or 
doing the in the science fields and whatever and it's like can they do the same here apparently they can't or maybe they can i would say maybe i'm wrong but my 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 opinion on this is that i would probably say that maybe they're having more opportunities in these other countries right yeah um there are some com countries that you can do much more because they don't care uh, where you come from. What they care is, do you have the skills to do something unique? Um, and every country is different. Uh, for example, I, I don't believe that I would be able to have the same success if I had remained and work only within Greece. The fact that my services were very unique and I could work and bring these services in other countries, I believe that that was part of my success. But if I was limited to, to do that only in Greece, I would have never made it because of the culture of Greece and how Albanians are, are considered. Um, I wouldn't have any, any opportunity. I mean, there were many times where I, I was hired by the clients and the rest of the team who were Greeks, they were like, okay, so we have an Albanian what? Working for us for the security. They, they didn't trust my skills because I was a female and I wasn't Greek. So automatically for them, I was less capable of doing the job. And of course, yes, they are amazing. I had amazing Greek colleagues as well, but I had the bad ones as well. Uh, did, you, did it ever like happen to change their opinion after working with you? for a while or their first opinion was like the ones that loved you loved you all the time and the ones that didn't love you as much didn't like you as much never liked you there's there's all those people that will accept you there are those people that won't accept you at first and after they get to know you they will accept you yeah. and there are people who are not never. accepting you at first and they will never accept you because they have a very specific you know point of view in life and no matter what you do, you can't change that. And I'm not there to change that. I'm not, I'm not doing my job to make friends. I'm doing my job to do my job. Um, so I don't take, I don't take it personally. If you don't like me, no, fine. I don't like, you know, there are people I don't like either. So um, yeah, I mean, they're, they're always those kind of people, especially in, in a, in an industry that is very hard male dominated and women are already having a hard time establishing themselves. But gender doesn't make you any better or any worse, nevertheless. That's why I, I'm preaching too. I, I, I totally agree with you. Um, you know, there are females who say, uh, female bodyguards can be better. I'm like, no, the gender doesn't make you better or worse. What makes you better is what kind of skills you bring on the table. Uh, for example, if I have a male call, like a, a male bodyguard, and I place him next to a female client, that colleague cannot follow that client wherever she goes because there are limitations. So at that moment, his gender becomes uh, a kind of restriction for the services he's providing. Yeah. Uh, but again, because of the the profession is not, um, there's, a, there's a very a huge misconception about the, the, the profession. They think that you have to be huge you have to be badass you have to beat someone down you know things like that that's not our job our job is to work proactively to do all the necessary steps 
to prevent an attack before that attack happens. Hmm. And if not, then we, not, we must know what to do if an attack happens and how to evacuate the client or how to deal with it. Uh, but the majority of our work, 90%, 90% of our work is based on proactive. Recognition. Okay. Yes, yeah. So a woman can do that. There is no need for me to be huge or know how to you know, do martial arts or something, but which most of these women are, they are trained in, in combatives and martial arts, but... You just spoiled the whole image for me, like I had... I mean, the, the, everybody has this idea that the bodyguard would like beat the crap will off out of anybody around and you just say no, they will prevent that from happening. So why am I hiring you? I want to see you beat other people. No, we're here. well, we had clients who were actually provoking oh, other yeah. people in public just so their security team can react and beat those people up. But here's the thing, you when you work for somebody, you're just a civilian. Even if you were in law enforcement, you still cannot go and beat people. Of course. Yeah. So so when you are another civilian who's you're just in your private sector, you're a civilian, you're working for somebody. So what? You know, you can be uh, his private assistant, you can be his nanny. You are in the same category, even if you are security. There are many restrictions. You cannot arrest someone because he's going close to the client. You cannot push someone. So everything that uh, that we do, it has to be very specific. We are there to within boundaries. Yes, we have to protect clients. You know, of course. Uh, physically, and but also we have to protect a client's image and protect them from embarrassment. It's it's a it's a very you know different image from what you're getting from Hollywood. But it's your fault. You're because you're there. Like you should make. A... <laughs> <laughs> well, nobody. You should make a movie. Me. You should make a movie and, and open everybody's eyes up. You know. Uh, so well, you you're in the state. I'm open. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm open for offers. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll we'll tag someone in the posts about the whole thing like looking for like uh, what are agent ah yeah looking for an agent for hollywood agent like um living in the states do you have um uh, do you manage to have like albanian contacts or friends or like an entourage or i don't know because it's well, huge it depends on the place so you can place it. now that now that i'm thinking the whole thing i just asked like you move so much, it would be impossible for you to make like Albanian, <laughs> steady Albanian friends. Just kidding. No, I have, I have, uh, I have many Albanian friends, and we have very significant uh, people. Um, you know, I have Albanian friends from the, you know, from the world of arts, um, from business, um, from the business, profession, you know, business corpor corporations and stuff. Uh, but of course, in Greece, we had. You know, we yeah, kept our yeah. connections with a lot of Albanians. But when I moved to the States, the, the place is huge. Yeah. I mean, the country is huge. Is there like, uh, when we talk to people, like when we do like these pre-sessions about the interviews, like one of the most important things that we want to know and have more information about is the type of cultural content or materials or whatever that reaches the diaspora world from Albania, from Kosovo, I don't know. Like, I don't know what type of information you guys get over there of what's going on in here, apart from politics, because that's like the main export. Well, I would say uh, apart from politics, um, our second male, main export is I want to be playable model singers. You know, it's, it's, we have so much 
culture and folklore culture and and so much more than just songs and songs that I don't know, you know, I don't want to... No, we're not judging, we, somehow we are, but still. Yeah, so it, it's really amazing to me that we have so much in our tradition and we put, when somebody make like, I'm gonna book a place, like a restaurant, I'm gonna bring one or two singers from Albania and you will be able to hear them or watch them live and also, you know, eat for dinner or lunch and that place is gonna be packed. But when you try and do something more, something that for me is going to be more significant, like, you know, cinema or there are events that are happening between different uh, kind of minorities where everybody shows up and they, they, they have, you know, everybody, each minority can show their, their cuisine. Here you can have Thai food, you can have, you know, uh, Indian, uh, food. In, Indian food. <laughs> and we have no representation from Albania. Arts. This one, by, no, this one, by the way, is from... Uh, an amazing talented Albanian painter. We don't have that. We don't participate in things that are very significant to show our culture. So I only know when it comes about a singer event or something. There are events and people don't participate in the events or there are no events at all. Or maybe there were some events and there was no interest. So whoever was doing that just dropped the type of, I mean, events, cultural events. Uh, I will bring personal experience and I will bring this from, from uh, my, my life in Greece. So um, in Greece, we have a huge, a large number of Albanians in Greece. And in 2007, uh, I was part of a group of people, Albanian people, and we decided to bring in Greece the first um, Albanian film festival because we wanted to show to our Greek friends our uh, film industry. And we wanted also to give the opportunity to the Albanian, Albanians in Greece, to, to the older ones, to rewatch these movies and that the new generation who was probably, you know, born in Greece or uh, they came to Greece at a very young age to, to see these movies. Uh, so for seven days, we had different uh, Albanian movies. We had uh, 25 uh, movies, two went, were, were from Kosovo, and we have also short movies, uh, short duration movies. The, there was no interest from uh, Albanian businessmen in Greece to support this financially. No interest at all. There was interest from very specific uh, Greek companies uh, who, Albanian you know, they had Denmark. Albanian clientele. Oh, yeah. But the, the, movies uh, were, the movies were in Albanian. The movies were in Albanian. Um, and because we didn't have a budget, nobody, you know, uh, even if the Albanian government says, okay, you can have officially, because you need to have permission yeah. from the Albanian film center to, to use these movies. And we had the, uh, the films transferred through a diplomatic, uh, way, I would say, uh, even if they give you the permission and there is the Greek film, uh, film center who said, okay, I'm going to give you the place, the cinema to use for this event, there's still enormous cost that you have to yeah. manage and we didn't have the budget you know we, which was very limited uh whatever money we were receiving was about you know we had to print uh flyers and, and things like that so our team we were doing our own subtitling so um we were assigned each one of us has okay here are five movies you have to watch pause it 
we, we, were, we did it with a very archaic method, method. So watch, pause, put your uh, translation, the subtitles in a, in a PowerPoint, then take that PowerPoint while the movie is playing on the screen in the movie theater. We had another person who was clicking the like, next, next, you know, <laughs> like in the PowerPoint. Like yes. Like in, exactly. So we had to do manually everything. You know, when you think about it, it's like, you know, we should do better. <laughs> We should do better. And the majority of the people who came to see these movies were Greeks. You know, we were blown away by the numbers of the Greek film fans that they wanted to see an alternative, you know, um, cinema. And we have very limited, like probably 10% were, were Albanians. Well, maybe they didn't miss that cinema much. Maybe the choice of movies were... I think it's your fault because maybe you chose like... <laughs> Maybe we chose like, I don't like weak movies, I don't know. We separated in, in two eras. So before the fall of the regime and after the fall of the regime. Okay. Um, and again, sometimes it's like, you know, you have to support um, something that, that is, is being done for, for your community, for, for your people. And besides that, because I have been a lot in contact with the artistic side, because my brother is a movie director as well. Uh, there are many uh, other communities of immigrants in Greece who are doing something artistic. And I, I have seen them, you know, uh, events for children and things like that. And we are the only community who doesn't participate, who doesn't do anything. Uh, it's not the first time that I hear this, unfortunately. Well, there are groups of people that are trying to change this, but if they keep going, maybe later on it will catch on. I don't know. Again, we have very significant people and very big talents inside Albania and outside Albania that um, we should be pr proud of and uh, we should show and also empower them and support them and we should do better. Yeah, some of us are trying and are trying really hard and giving everything they, they have, they got to make at least some things last, you know, the good things try to survive the whole this like being covered. And plus whatever whatever momentarily cultural wave they like they come and go. But the good things will always like resist yeah. the the rush of times. Uh it was great, Nita. It was a, it's a, you have like an awesome story. And it's like every time uh I go and think about the those two companies, you know, like me being like a marketing and advertising guy, it's like I would have loved to be like part of the team that launched them, you know, because it's a great thing to have in your portfolio as a whatever as an external person. But for you, it's like the work of your life. Um, do you have do you have any insight that would say like I want this for maybe not the whole world, but for all the Albanians to know, like something from your experience in Albania and abroad are succeeding at things, succeeding at life. Well, first of all, I would like to, to thank you for your kind words. Uh, and I would say we always need someone in marketing. <laughs> and um, about the second part, um, I just want to tell to my fellow Albanians that don't feel that you're lacking something. Don't feel that because you were born in Albania or you're holding an Albanian passport, uh, you are limited to do things. You can always apply for a visa. You can always reach out to different companies. Um, 
you can always reach out to connections. You know, I have had the luck to work with some amazing people because I had the guts to reach out to them, either Facebook, you know, uh, or, uh, LinkedIn or through their, you know, company's emails and say, hey, this is who I am. This is, uh, can you help me out? Or can you, you know, what do you suggest? Uh, and some of these amazing people reached out to me and they gave me such a great guidance and they helped me. So sometimes it's just asking for help. And it's okay if you can't do something, if you don't know how to do something, learn about it or ask someone who knows how to do it. So if you are, even if you're in Albania, you can always reach out to the other part of the world um, if you want to do it. There's ways to do it. Uh, you're not lacking anything. You can always get, uh, if I'm not mistaken, Albanian passport can enter uh, 54 countries without a visa. And for me, it has always been easy to get even an America visa. So there are no restrictions. The only restrictions, it's, uh, it's us, you know, in our, in our stories. Right. It's yeah. what holds us back. And I always use my story and say, if I made it, you can make it too. There's nothing that can stop you. It's going to be struggles. Yes, they're going to be struggles. They're going to be people who are going to try to stop you or tell you how silly it is, the idea you have it is. Uh, but if you have, you know, uh, a good idea, you can always um, seek out for help. Um, I have reached out to companies, to amazing companies that it's are huge. And by just asking someone who was, who was working there, hey, how can I reach out to the HR department? You know, um, so it's only about just ask, just just go go out there. Just ask and you will, it will be given to you. It's, it's not that it will be given always, yeah. but I mean, there are given. people out there who will help you. There are amazing people who will, you know, okay, eight will help you, two won't, but who cares about the two? And with the, with the power of social media today, you can reach out, reach out to many people. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, it was, it, 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 that's the, I mean, we need sometimes that we are confident we are not actually confident as people, maybe too much of confidence. We are like self-absorbed um, sometimes, those who like go forward and make things happen for themselves. And the people that have skills are not so confident in doing things. They're always like, it's like this uh, self-doubt. So they really need to hear this. Thank you. Thank you well, for putting this out loud. No, I am. Um, uh, you know, it's 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 understandable. Okay, you know, everybody may have doubt. I had many doubts, many many doubts about myself. I made a lot of mistakes, huge mistakes, especially with the, with having a company. But you learn from that. You know, you 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 learn how what not to do next. Okay, so we'll call today then, Chief. <laughs> Thank you for, for this opportunity and thank you for, for your project and uh, what you guys are doing. And please pass my gratitude to all involved in this and I wish you much success. Yeah, we will. Thank you for doing this. Thank you for taking time out of your over busy schedule and uh, we'll stay in touch and talk for lots of things more. Yes, thank it was you. my pleasure. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye, Linda. Thank you.